Hey there, welcome back to Bandit's Keep. I am Daniel, and in this season we are talking about using the chainmail rules of basically mass combat while using original Dungeons & Dragons. So if this is the first episode you're catching, I'll kind of do a brief summary here. Essentially, if you bought the original box of Dungeons & Dragons back in 1974, I guess, um, it referred a lot to another game called Chainmail. Uh, this game was basically a mass combat game. It was the game that, you know, uh, a lot of things came from that, that kind of helped sculpt D&D, I guess, in a lot of ways. I'm not a historian, so I'm not going to get too much into that. But um, in any case, it's a very different combat system. The 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 alternative combat system, which is roll a d20, you know, refer to a chart, a kind of thing that basically became what is the combat system of D&D today, uh, was in the books, but they'd also referred to this chainmail. So I had picked up a a supplement a while back by, by a gentleman named Jason Vey, uh, talking about just that. He was using uh, OD&D to create a Conan the Barbarian type setting. And in that, he talked about using the chainmail system, which got me excited about it. So I've been working on it myself. What I have learned uh, as I go on is there's lots of little things that you really need to decide. And part of the fun of this is me deciding uh, as I go. I suppose if you just wanted to pick it up and start running with it, you could just make the call when it happened. Uh, but you know, as as I've gone through this, I keep seeing little things like little references here, little references there. Um, so this is going to be kind of a miscellaneous, I guess, episode. I'm going to go over some of the little things, some of the small changes. Of, I don't know how little they are, but some of the some of the things I'm changing. Um, and hopefully, uh, I might do another actual play because I know I did one a little bit back. Uh, we might do one more to like record it, I should say, to actually kind of go over some of these different changes. If not, uh, at the very least, I'll do another episode where I kind of summarize everything. I'm kind of formatting my document now uh, to what I will believe is going to be kind of a usable um, format. So this is going to be a little rough, but as far as the writing, but I'm not going to read it to you. I'll just kind of go over it. But uh, let's talk about a few things. Number one, it never says uh, how magic users should have spells. Now, I'm I'm approaching this as if I've never played any other game and OD&D is the only thing in the world that ever existed, just those three books. Uh, clearly, if you played a lot of D&D, you, you have lots of different options, right? If you're a BX fan like I am, you just get one spell at first level as a magic user. If you're from the AD&D group, you, you look at your, uh, your intelligence, right? If you're playing something like 5e, I think that also is based on your intelligence. So there's lots of different ways to do it. I decided to keep it uh, random and simple. So what I'm having all magic users do is just like you have your six stats and then you roll the same thing, 3d6, you know, uh, for your money. So 3d6 times 10 for your money. I'm having every magic user throw 3d6 when they create their character. That is the number of spells they have in their book. They can uh, choose from first or second level, which there are, if you just follow the first three books, there are 18 first and second level spells. So if you rolled an 18 on that number, uh, you can have every first and second level spell available to you, of course. Uh, everything else you're going to have to research and find and, and whatever. Uh, elves, I did make an exception here. Elves, uh, because of the nature of how elves are, um, I'm only having them throw three, uh, two dice, rather, instead of three. Kind of a balanced thing there for me. Because um, if you... Uh, I'm, I'm sticking with the idea that elves can be a fighter or a magic user and switch between sessions because we've been playing it like that. To be honest, it's actually really cool. It seems really weird. If you're a, like a, a modern player and you read that, you're just like, this seems so stupid. And I've seen a lot of people comment on, 
on videos and in blogs about how it's dumb. I actually like it. Maybe I like weird things, but I actually kind of like that the elf can just decide I'm going to adventure as a magic user today because elves are basically alien, you know, in my mind. They're they're strange and weird. Uh, I'm more into the um, King of Elfland's daughter type elf than I am the Tolkien elf. So for me, I'm, I'm fine with that. Uh, speaking of elves, uh, so this, some of this is paraphrased from the OD&D books, but how I'm going to use it. So elves are highly magical in nature. Um, so they're going to get bonuses when wielding magical swords and bows. Uh, I'd already mentioned this before in the combat section, how elves can fight on the fantasy combat table using magic swords. I'm going to also include bows here because the chainmail does. Um, they also receive bonus dice in the troop combat when they're fighting against goblins and orcs and ogres. Uh, and again, that's with magic weapons. Uh, they are also, this is not an OD&D, uh, I'm sorry, this is not in chainmail, but it's an OD&D. They're immune to the ghoul's paralyzing touch, which we're going to talk about a little bit, in a, a little bit deeper in a minute. Um, a new thing I've just added, because I was, we're kind of tightening things up, is that I'm allowing for what they call a split move in chainmail, where uh, basically in chainmail you roll initiative, and then you move. Initiative really only decides who moves first. And you can actually, if you win initiative, you decide if you want to move first or let them move first. But horsemen with bows uh, can do what's called a split move. So they can move up to half their movement, shoot an arrow, then move the second half of their movement. Um, elves on foot can also do that in chainmail. So I'm allowing that um, here. So I notice no infravision because uh, there's no infravision in the first three books. Uh, it does, as soon as they come up with Greyhawk supplement, elves and dwarves both have infravision, but I am not going to have infravision, I don't think. I mean, unless I decide I want to add it, because I've been playing a lot of Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerer of Hyperborea, and everybody's human, and there's no dark vision or infravision, and i got to tell you, I like it a lot better. It makes the dark, it makes the dungeons so much more interesting. So that that's how I'm going there. However, there's always an exception, right? Dwarves... Right, and I'll, I'll read it exactly. Well, more or less exactly how they are um, written in chainmail. Uh, because of their their habitat is deep underground, these stout folk operate equally well day or night. So it doesn't say dwarves can see the dark. It says they operate equally well day or night. So I'm leaving it like that. I'm going to leave it vague. If somebody picks this up, this system up, and they want to use it, they can decide whether they want their dwarves to be able to see completely dark in the darkness, if it'll just be under, like, dim light they see good, if they see, you know, under the moonlit. That's up to, to, to the individual DM. What I am taking from uh, Chainmail, but uh, only in the troop combat version, they will have, uh, against certain large creatures, trolls, ogres, giants, uh, they will only, uh, any hit will only count as half. So that means it'll take double the number of hits to hit them, but also their hits only count as half coming back the other way. So a dwarf against a giant is going to have a hard time winning, but the giant will also have a hard time killing the dwarf. Um, gi these giant types, obviously. If you're fighting on the fantasy table, uh, that won't matter. This is only for troop combat. Uh, other changes or additions, because um, OD&D does not explain it at all. Um, so halflings, they say... Are, are very accurate with uh, missile weapons, and it says refer to chainmail, and chainmail says, I think something like for every three halflings, treat it as if there's one more. So basically for every three men, it's four. But most PCs are just one person, and if you're going to use it, if you consider it as their fighting capability, I just think that's going to be something that's weird, and I, I thought it was kind of awkward. So what I decided to do instead was, when halflings are using any missile weapon, they're just going to treat it always as short range. 
Um, this comes into a change I made to the missile combat where at short range, you add one die to your combat pool and at long range, you subtract one die. So, and of course, medium is normal. So basically a halfling will always get one extra die to throw when in troop combat. That's basically how I'm going to do that. I don't, uh, you know, for there. And the good thing about this is it also translates into man to man combat because they have the ranges listed there with different chances to hit. So the halfling will always have a better chance to hit. Will always have the best chance to hit, I should say. I mean, anybody in short range will have that chance. All right. And finally, clerics are going to get a prayer book. Uh, so I am doing it that way. Um, and they will throw two dice. Uh, to get the number of prayers that are in there, and they can pick from first to third level. So clerics are going to have to have books just like magic users in my world. I know that's not how OD&D was meant, uh, because I know that from reading Strategic Review. But um, I don't know. I like the idea. Again, Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers have, makes clerics use prayer books. I like that idea. Uh, I like the idea that a cleric should also have to have a limited number of spells. I do not like that they can pick every single spell. Although, to be honest, there's not that many cleric spells in the in three books. So if you roll anything like mid-range, like 9 to 12 uh, on your, well, actually you're rolling two dice. So if you roll like a 7 or to 9, which I guess is average, or 6 to 9, you're going to have like all the first level and most of the second level spells, I believe. Okay, so that's basically kind of rules clarifications. Oh, I think I just shook the table there. I'm using a different microphone, so hopefully I don't have too much noise. Um, hopefully that's all the uh, rules clarifications there. Let's take a quick look over here. Uh, okay, saving throws. So what I've decided to do with saving throws, I don't know if I've mentioned this before or not, is uh, in that uh, book about, uh, Jason Bay's book about the Conan uh, series, um, he has a uh, 2d6 saving throw system. I'm going to use that. I made it a little bit better for the players, I think. Um, basically, I at first level for him, he has it as 11, which is nearly impossible to make. And I think at 4 to 6, it's like a 9, I think. Uh, and then I think it's seven, it's a six. So what I did was I I switched it to 10, eight, and six. Uh, and then I have an asterisk um, from seventh level beyond for every three levels, it improves by one. So, but a, a roll of, of two always fails. So, you know, double ones will always fail. Um, there is, a, there are, there are bonus, he has, he offers this as like a, an extra thing. I like the idea of having bonuses for the classes. So you're still going to have, it's not going to be like a single saving throw, like um, let's say Swords of Wizardry. That You're still going to say save versus death, wands, stone, dragon breath, or spell staff. And depending on your class, you'll get a bonus to that. Like a, a wizard or, or magic user or a cleric get plus three versus spell staff, for instance, to their role. Yeah, okay. Uh, the other thing I'm doing in troop combat and in fantasy combat, well, no, in troop combat, I guess not in fantasy combat, I should say is any damage-dealing spell deals the number of hit dice and damage as the number of dice they roll. So basically, if a fireball was going to do 66, it'll do six hit dice of damage. Which means, if you listen to the other episodes, if you are like have seven uh, hit dice, a six-hit-die fireball just will not hurt you at all. You'll literally just ignore it, I guess, for, the, for lack of a better word. But if you are six or below, it will kill you outright. I mean, you get a saving throw for a guy for, for it to be three dice. Um, I'm also going to use that when dealing with things like pit traps and stuff like that. So you were to fall in a uh, 20-foot pit, it'll do two dice of damage. So if you are if you have two hit dice or below and you fall in a 20-foot pit, you're at the bottom and you're dead, basically. If you have three hit dice or more, you fall down the pit, you somehow you know miraculously survive. 
And that's basically it. I'm trying to keep all the minutia of uh, you're a little hurt, you're not hurt out of most stuff. I had originally said, I think on this, because I was planning on doing that, that I was going to use the man-to-man slash hit points for traps and stuff, but I just like this better. What my goal really with this is the more I'm doing it, I'm realizing that I like the idea of PCs being a little bit more sturdy, but I don't like the idea of healing. Uh, I don't know why. I'm sure it's just something mental in my brain that I'm just, it's weird, but uh, it's like a block, like a mental block, I should say. I don't like the idea that everybody's running around healing all the time because I think that that creates a much more high magic world than I want to operate in. But the idea that they're just heroic and just can shrug stuff off, I'm okay with. Like, that's kind of how I, I view things. So uh, I think that's why I'm okay with this, at least uh, so far. We'll see. I mean, it's still very deadly at low levels. Don't, don't get me wrong. We've mostly been running, you know, uh, higher level adventures. And uh, I've done a few play tests. Actually, I ran second level and one of the PCs dies. And I, and I ran a fourth, fifth level rather, and one PC died. So that's, you know, it's still deadly. Okay, so that's that part. All right, a few other things. Okay, this is, this comes into combat. Like, how do you deal with, like, let's say a Medusa's gaze? Now, I mentioned a Medusa gaze, I think, when I talked about fantasy combat, and I was just like, well, if in the end the Medusa wins that fantasy combat, you're turned to stone. Okay, that's fine, but what if you're second level or two-hit die or fighting capability of two or whatever, and you can't fight the Medusa on fantasy? How does she turn you to stone then? So I figured I needed a rule for that, and what I came up with is that uh, you're going to roll a d6 for anybody who could possibly see the Medusa or anything like that, you know, area effect, it's all dragon breath, all that stuff. Uh, on a four, five, or six, they're in range and they're basically going to have to make a saving throw or take damage, whatever. So cloud of poison gas fills the room, roll four, five, or six. If uh, they get, you know, roll a d6, I should say, they roll four, five, or six, they're in the range of it that they'll have to roll. Because I like abstracted stuff. I guess if you're using a... a a map or whatever, you could obviously not use it for things like that. But I'm talking about like Medusa's gaze, uh, you know, breath weapons that we don't want to have to track specifically um, areas, especially when you're doing um, theater of the mind. That's going to be my general rule there. I said if, uh, if on a four, five or six uh, or on D6, you will have to make a saving throw. If you roll a one, two or three, you've turned your eyes away. I mean, clearly, if you um, if you say I'm going to charge at the Medusa and I don't care about looking away, then you'll have to make the saving throw. But if... And obviously, if you're surprised, you'll have to. But that's the way that, because, you know, players are always going to be like, oh, I'm not looking at her, or, you know. So that's how we're going to determine it. I just feel like stuff like that, making it part of the rules, makes it a lot simpler. So that's how I'm going to try it to start with. Um, I am going to, let's see, quickly looking through here for anything extra. Special attack forms, I just talked about that. One thing I'm doing is I'm neatening this thing up because each form of combat, I put like a lot of the same rules in. So I'm kind of tightening everything up. Um, so, yeah, I think we went over all this already. Surprise, I just mentioned mounted. OK, good. So finally, which was the big thing is so in that book, I think it was in the, the Conan book. It might have been in the Conan book or it might have been in a book called Using OD&D. No, Using Chain Milk for OD&D Combat. There's a big old list of, because uh, basically if you go into Chainmail and you and you look, they, they often list um, how things should fight. So for instance, it'll say like a goblin will attack as heavy foot and defend as light foot. And keeping in mind that in Chainmail, anytime you hit something, they die. Okay. This is very important when, when I was working through this, right? So 
that all works fine if you just look at stuff like that. And, and one of the lists in, the, in one of these books has that. And they went through every monster and they were like, heavy foot, light foot, whatever. But the problem becomes that if you do that, uh, you look at, let's say we look at uh, a dragon. A dragon says specifically that it attacks as four heavy horse. But if you go and put a, I don't know, a unicorn as a heavy horse, because it also says that, right? Well, it's meant that a unicorn is going to attack as one heavy horse, right? And the dragon is attacking four, so the dragon's way more powerful. But if you go by the hit dice, which is how typically you're going to do it, the dragon with nine hit dice, let's say, um, is well, anywhere from five to 12 hit dice, is going to still only be attacking as four heavy horse, because that's very specifically listed. Whereas a unicorn is going to attack as four heavy horse, which is the same as a dragon is supposed to be. So what I had to do was, I went through each of the monsters that was in uh, the original three books. I have added a couple since then because I'm, I've used them in, uh, like I added a bugbear, for instance, because I used it in something, so I had to calculate it out. And I just went through and realistically kind of, realistically, right, for a fantasy game, I looked at it and I saw, if it, if it didn't specifically say attacks as this or defends as that, um, what I did was I, I determined either it should be Let's say skeletons, for instance. I was like, all right, skeletons are going to attack as Lightfoot and defend as Lightfoot. And it, I mean, skeletons are, well, actually, they're only half a hit die in OD&D, but they're a hit die, basically. And that all works out fine, right? Um, giants list themselves as fighting as Armored Foot, right? And in the back, it says 12 Armored Foot. But in OD&D, there's not just one kind of giant. There's uh, a variety, and they go from 8 to 12 hit dice. So for there, I just wrote, they attack as Armored Foot, and you'll just use their hit dice, Right. Um, for, uh, you know, same thing, like like whites say they attack as light horse and defend as heavy horse. And so do ghouls. But whites and ghouls have two different hit, like a ghoul is only two hit die, a white is three hit die. So I think that's fine. So I really kind of looked at things. And I tried to figure out um, how many of each. So this actually took a little while to, to create what I think is a pretty good balance. I mean, I haven't tested all the monsters yet, but it's definitely worth... Um, considering because if you just go into something and say okay they're going to fight as heavy foot and they have like 15 hit die and that might not work out for you so well like it might come out to be some weirdly skewed numbers like i used kind of the dragon as well the dragon should be one of if not the most badass creatures in the entire system um and i kind of scaled everything around that knowing that the the system basically calls for four heavy horse I think the only thing that's more powerful, like just straight up, is the purple worm, which is which is five heavy horse. I gave that an extra heavy horse because, I mean, it's a friggin' purple worm, right? Um, but then we look at things, right? And we say, what happens, right, if uh, if something has a special attack, like a, like a paralyzation or anything like that? You've got to just kind of go with the flow. So it, this was hard. I went back and forth. You know, I was like, well, you know what? Um, okay, so for instance, let's say a Gorgon, right? A Gorgon, you know, the, the armored bull Gorgon, um, has a petrifying breath. So how does that work? Well, that falls back to that idea of that four, five, or six, you're in the range and you have to make a saving throw, right? Um, but other things like um, the ghoul's paralyzing touch, that I'm just going to leave up in the air. Because to me, I'm not sure exactly how that will work. It really kind of depends on what's going on. Because the reality is that if a... If a ghoul has to um, touch you, right? So if you're using the normal system, like let's say you're using troop combat, 
if the ghoul is going to hit you, right, then they have to get your number of hit dice, right? But you would be dead. So what, what's, why would you be paralyzed? Like it, it don't count, kind of almost doesn't make sense. So I, I've been kind of bouncing around a few different ideas. And one thing that I did do um, recently was that uh, there was like a bunch of ghouls, like kind of attacking a whole crowd of people. And I just basically said, everybody in the range, roll a D6. If you get a four, five, or six, then you're going to have to save versus paralysis because you're in the range. I kind of treat it as an area effect attack. So I'm kind of, I don't want to add lots and lots and lots of subsystems because I want to keep it simple. Even though I feel like, as I said right at the beginning of this, I kind of like the idea of lots of little subsystems, but at the same time, you know, I'm trying to, to make things at least somewhat um, uniform for myself, so I don't have to keep refer referring back to stuff every single time. And then, of course, some creatures require simultaneous hits to kill, and some require cumulative, and that also affects how strong they are. So this is all stuff that um, I kind of balanced out, and I will make all these charts available, Um so that, you know, when, when this is finally over, I'll, I'll put it as part of the system so you guys can see kind of what I came up with. Obviously, um, every DM is going to have to decide on their own, you know, how it should work. Um, because one of the the main issues that I found with this, and I, I still am super excited about really making this a, a main thing for me, um, which I will do uh, coming into the next year. Uh, but one of the really interesting things that I found was that yeah, there's lots of little things like you presume certain things because we've all played D&D for a long time, right? So we have this like idea of how things should work. And then all of a sudden when you have this different system, it's like, well, it can't really work like that. So there's going to be a lot of on the fly stuff. And I think that's going to be fun. And, and uh, you know, we'll see. <laughs> I guess we're going to find out, right? Um, okay. So for instance, one last thing I was looking at, we were kind of going through all the different monsters, right? Like what do you, what happens when like you're fighting a, a beholder, right? A beholder has basically got all these eye rays and stuff shooting around, right? So how does that work? You know, that's stuff that you're going to have to kind of work out as a DM. I mean, based on what I, what I think is working, I would do my error effect deal, right? I'd be like, okay, four, five, or six, you're in the range of it. Uh, the eye rays, of course, are more targeted. So I'd probably roll randomly to see who uh, is it's targeted at and just make them make a save. There's lots of different ways that you could do it. Um, and... That's kind of the 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 beauty, I think, of ODND in general is that it's it is loose, right? A lot of rules aren't there, and you've got to kind of go with the flow. So I'm basically just filling in what I think are the best ways to do it. So yeah, that's where I'm at right now, guys. And uh, interestingly enough, it should be really fun. Uh, Nikki, who did the live play with me that we recorded last time, is actually making a a a, a small event. I don't know how small it's going to be, an adventure for me. Uh, so I can be a player in this, so I can kind of see how it plays out uh, with me as a player. So I'm pretty excited to play it. I, I definitely like it, and everybody who's used it has definitely liked it. Um, there's been some question, you know, about, oh, I don't know if I like the idea of hit, hit dice versus the hit points. But I think it's just one of those things that if I if I were to roll this back and say, you know what, I won't do hit dice anymore. I'll do what OD&D says, and I'll just make every hit do a D6 hit points. I just feel like you're adding more and more rolls. And in the end, you're going to kind of come out with the same numbers. So for me, I think this is working out really well. I still need to do a very full-on uh, playtest of man-to-man, -man, which I'm making an adventure for, which I'll, I'll talk about that in upcoming. I'm going to get this thing whole straightened out, and hopefully you should never put a date on anything because you have to do it, right? But I think by the end of January, I'll, I'll actually have a PDF document that I can share with everybody um, 
and then we'll kind of end this season, if you will. And then once I do that, I can uh, I can just talk about random stuff here. So <laughs> thanks for everybody who's been listening. Uh, also, if you if you don't know, I have a, a YouTube channel under the same name, which I there I talk about other stuff besides this. So if you're interested in D and D stuff in general and actual plays, that stuff's there. And I appreciate everybody listening. And I'm recording this uh, between Christmas and New Year's, so hopefully it will be live before New Year's. So uh, happy holidays to everybody, and uh, we'll see you next year. <laughs>